Carnivorous couch, it happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous couch with Brady and Rob. Hi everybody, hi everybody, and welcome to another episode of Carnivorous Couch. We have with us this week, as always, Brady Larson. Hello! And we also have Shaken over here, whose real name is... Shaylin. David Shaylin. Ah, yes. So we'll refer to him as David. I'll, I'll try to refer to him exclusively as Shaken. But, um... That's his, that's his new nickname. I don't <laughs> know if he likes it. Anyway, uh... Let's start off with our plot synopsis, as per usual. Okay, oh, well, no, wait. Announce the movie first, Rob. What movie are we watching? Why don't you do all that? Okay. <laughs> this week we watched 1963's Lucino Visconti masterpiece, The Leopard. Uh, and The Leopard is about an actual true-to-life political event in, uh, I believe, 1860s Italy. And we have Mr. Correct. David Samuel Shalin. What's shaking, David? Well, I watched the same movie as you, and uh, I might have seen the same thing, but different th- or different things. But I certainly agree with you that it was situated in Italy in 1860 during the uh, lead up to the integration of the Kingdom of the Two Sicilies, I believe, into uh, the budding unified Italy. Good. I certainly hope so, because uh, you know some level of accord is important. So yes, this takes place in 1860s Italy. When political shifts, heavy political schisms are taking place, and essentially a sort of ruling class, a noble-based aristocratic ruling class, based more in money, is starting to be replaced by a monarchy, but with more of an electoral process. And so our main character is this prince, Prince Fabrizio. I'm forgetting the lengthy last name. And he's played by... (laughs) Played by Burt Lancaster. And it's about him realizing that this great change is coming upon Italian society, realizing what this change will mean for his noble family. And essentially, uh, it's about him positioning his family, and particularly his nephew, uh, Count Tancredi, played by Alan Delone, who would go on to famously star in Le Samurai. I totally didn't get any of what you just said, but go on. It's about him positioning his nephew, Tancredi, to... uh, essentially have a role in this class that is rapidly changing, that is shifting from this noble class to something more electoral. And so it's about him you know, shifting his nephew into a senatorial position. It's about m- him making sure his family will be okay after he dies. And mainly, it's just about kind of acceptance. The movie itself is about him accepting that this change is coming, that he won't be around much longer, and that uh, change is a constant. And so, you know, in terms of what it's about, I think there's a lot of detail to the history, but at its roots, I think it's a pretty simple story of change. I I agree that it's certainly a story of change, and there's the ever-present question of what will change for whom and how much, whether the change is going to be cosmetic or deep, is uncertain, and the characters are acting in that uncertainty. Uh, I would have liked, however, to have a little bit more background on what the character of the constitutional monarchy being established was, because my Italian history is unfortunately slightly weak on this point. I have slight gaps in my knowledge of uh, Italian history specifically. And I and I do, I, do, I do feel it's relevant, because I feel it was part of the assumed implied background that the uh, 
primary audience was supposed to have that I kind of lacked. I agree with that. I mean, I have gaps in knowledge of all all my history. I don't know a thing. So this was particularly difficult for me. You know, I see what you're saying. First off, though, I'm going to say this is a long movie, which means there are certain things you need to revisit. I think if you actually look at it strictly on paper, I think all of the puzzle pieces are there for us to know a lot about what's happening. David's right. We maybe don't go deep into the political implications of the new class. We have enough to know that they're much more liberal, more progressive, something much closer to democracy than uh, more of the, well, you'd call it more of a feudalistic society they had before with the rich noblemen kind of controlling the sway of things. And so I think we have enough to know kind of it's closer to our world order, what they're progressing toward. And that, I think, is kind of the delicate challenge of the film, is our protagonist is someone rooted in a way of life that we as, uh, not just as liberals, but I think anyone living under the American way of society would say probably has to change. It's not uh, geared enough toward the common person. It's oligarchical, and uh, it needs to change. And yet the movie is about us being in the driver's seat with this Lancaster character and with his nephew, seeing a way of life change and smartly realizing that it, it's time to say goodbye to an old way of life. But there is really no saying goodbye to it. They, the the uh, Burt Lancaster character, whose name none of us can pronounce, uh, thinks, hopes that uh, some something of the old order will survive uh, by the by the sheer power of inertia. And he said he quotes a variant on the plus ça change uh, motto several times that the more it changes, the more it's the same thing. I I know the quote you're saying, but I actually I have to completely disagree on this because. To me, what this movie is about is about everything around him is going crazy. People around him, his wife, his uh, groundskeeper. Uh, a lot of people are really shocked by this change that's coming. And he is too at first. But I think what it's really about is him convincing everyone to calm down. Even though his way of life is going out the window, even though he's not going to be as powerful, he still has this kind of persuasive sway on people because of who he is. And it's about him realizing, everyone calm down. Like, there's nothing we can do to stop this change. Change is a constant. And I think at a deeper level, even confronting his own death. I mean, yeah, I think well, those know, we are... We talk about the mortality, the, 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 the uh, oncoming mortality of the main character increasingly revealed. This movie goes on a little later. First, we should get straight what his uh, personality is and what his... Uh, position towards the event, his stance towards the event really is. I think all these are really good introductory thoughts. However, I think we should do the plot synopsis so we can actually qualify what we're talking about. I thought we just did. Well, I mean, doesn't plot synopsis say, like, at the beginning, this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, Okay, if you want to take me through more... Yeah, okay, I'll take you through some of the more important events. So, in the course of this uh, broader plot, what happens is he does set up his nephew, Tancredi, with the daughter of basically a fast-rising political player, but a political player who represents the new order, the new system. He's elected to office. He's someone who more works with the people. And he's a bit of a boob. He's not... So what we get contrasted is the Lancaster character is utterly noble to his very marrow. He's, you know, he may represent a way of order that needs to go, but we 
I was completely in awe of him in terms of his gentle but powerful presence. And that's kind of the character arc we get too, is him being wise and smart enough to keep a lid on it. But occasionally we see flashes of hostility that he doesn't want his way of life to die, even if he knows it has to. So he gets his nephew married to this rising figure so that he can bridge his old world with the new. And uh, so it's about that happening. It's about him saving that way of life. And the big thing is at the end, we get this 40-minute glorious lavish ball sequence, which is pretty much a commemoration of the daughter of the Politico coming to power, uh, a debutante ball, if you will. But it's also a goodbye to a way of life, a final night to say your remembrances to this. And, and that's what it's about. It ends with the ball. And then the, you know, we see the Lancaster character walking home. He doesn't die or anything. It's just he knows that he is quietly being phased out. He'll one day die. He has no more relevance, in other words. And, uh, yeah, it's a new way of life, and it's a goodbye film. All right. Uh, that's cool. I didn't get any of that. I, I didn't understand a look at this movie, and I did not know what was going on the entire time. I don't know if it's because I'm simply intelligently bereft of the ability to understand this movie, but, uh, yeah, no, no fucking clue what was you, going on you in this movie. You had no clue this movie was about change? I mean, no, not until you told me. The very first scene is about that, and I, I think the very first scene is like sets up a simple, subdued but beautiful visual for a certain kind of moment. I mean, I think you could even make an argument that this is you could even tie this movie to the grieving process, the five steps kind of a thing, kind of a a denial period and whatnot. Uh, but because of the nature of our protagonist, we don't get much denial. In fact, and David asked earlier, and I want to get back to his question. What's the nature of this character? I say the nature of this character is extremely proud, uh, extremely aware of his own intelligence. But what we really see, his character arc, is that he has the grace and the dignity to accept his own death, one, and the change in his way of life, the change it'll mean to his family, and to basically take it on the chin and to calm everyone else around him down that you know, we'll have to accept this new, this new paradigm. Uh, yeah, he's 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 proud, and he he maintains his proud uh, persona, even as he realizes that he doesn't necessarily have an ideal to stand for, uh, claim to write. So, and and that and that that moral realization helps him abandon any attempt to fight the old, to, to, to fight the new order. But but it doesn't take away his pride, his uh, his. Uh, persona which is which is very much uh, visually represented in the film as well as uh, by his words yeah you're, so what happens in the first scene though is do, do you remember what the first thing we learn the first piece of information we get is in the film uh they're running around the castle because some dude has died somewhere nearby right yeah we A garibaldi soldier specifically all right some dude died you know this film's called the leopard i didn't know what it was about at all so i assumed that he had been killed by a leopard at this point in the movie because i didn't realize that this movie had nothing to do with <laughs> leopards Rob, so well i mean i think we just need to be patient and let films unfold sometimes films have esoteric yeah so titles. originally i had just gone all right somebody was killed by a leopard and burt lancaster's going to be a hunter and go out to kill the leopard <laughs> oh, God. 
but but we and it's gonna be a Moby Dick kind of thing. That's what I thought was going they tell on. Tell us he's a soldier. We right, are... and this soldier's gonna kill a fucking leopard. No, no, the soldier's who's dead. They say a soldier's died in the garden. Yes, I, I soon found out that that was not the case, and that there are no leopards in this movie, and that it's some sort of symbolic reference to Burt Lancaster's character. Yeah, and we, once yeah, we I, can talk about the reference. I think it. I think it took you movie. saying that for me to realize. Oh. No, there's not going to be any monster. There's not going to be <laughs> any leopard. But okay, so here's what I like about that scene, though. I find it a beautiful visual metaphor for the first rumblings of a great shift in our lifestyle, and that can be what. And one of the reasons I like this movie is that can be at a small level or at a grand societal political level. It can be change in the life of the humblest individual to the greatest social institution. But there's always that moment where we get that first rumbling that this is not theoretical anymore. This is actually happening. And the first that they get of the family Wait, what's the is, thing that's actually happening? In the middle of just a standard afternoon prayer. Those Italians are very religious. Yeah, I, didn't un- I, I thought we were just looking at a prayer. Yeah, yeah they're, just, they're having their af- afternoon prayer, and a servant runs in and says... A soldier's been found shot dead, and he's died in our garden. Oh, is that when it happened? Yeah, it's okay. the very first I didn't moment. catch that. Yeah, that, that's the first thing that happens, is prayer gets interrupted by that. And I thought so, it was just after the service that somebody told somebody. I didn't realize somebody ran in the middle of the service. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so what it, what it is to me is that, you know, things leap into the concrete. We can try to put off the fact that something big is coming, that some kind of change is coming, but at a certain moment we get our soldier in the garden moment where everything is completely concrete now. Not only is trouble more than a theory, it's in your yard, under your tree, and moldering as we speak. <laughs> Isn't there a, a, a Civil War movie that kind of employs the same trick? I don't know. Red Badge of Courage? I never saw Red Badge of Courage. Is there a movie or, well, that's Red a book. No, it's a book. Yeah. But doesn't that happen... In the book, like at the beginning, the Union soldier falls. No, maybe it's not. There's some movie about the Civil War where, like, it comes into their backyard and that's what prompts the son to this or that or the other. And it was something I saw when I was in sixth grade or whatever. I can't remember what it was. I have this weird feeling that it's the Red Badge of Courage. But anyway, so far, that's the only kind of intelligent thought I have to provide. The, for uh, this that film. you saw a dead soldier in another in, an, in another thing. Did yes. it did it mean the same thing thematically? Yes, it meant that the the turmoil is now at our doorstep. Okay, yeah. We should uh, qualify what we're saying about changes coming by noting that the change in historical fact was much uh, slower in Sicily, the part of Italy that this movie is set in, than in the part of Italy that. Uh, generated the unificatory movement. And it's not clear how much of it can really spread to Sicily. Uh, e- even, even if Wait, qualify unify, that? Because I didn't quite understand what you e- just e- said. E- 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 it's, implied in the, it's implied in the movie It's that uh, e- even though unification is happening and they will be nominally part of uh, the unified Italy, it's not clear how fast Sicily can change. And it's brought to, brought to the fore more explicitly towards the end. That uh, the, that that there's a movement coming to Sicily from uh, regions that are changing faster, and, and, and there's a big question mark about how how, how much of it can be transferred. Um, the uh, main character, Ber- Lancaster's character, at the end makes a speech, which I thought was one of the more interesting parts of the movie, which uh, denies that 
Sicily could ever change. But yet, at the same time, he's accepting. He 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 he's certainly accepting the superficial changes, the cosmetic changes, the official changes. And, and even before that, though, in the scene before that, I think we get a good kind of in uh, execution reference to it because he's playing a card game with a new political official who's come in and they've come in to make peace. And basically the officials come to ask him if he wants a senatorial position, he's offering an olive branch to the prince to say, you know, we can find room for you in the new order to which the prince says, you know, he'd rather this, uh, the father of the daughter, (laughs) the father of the girl who's going to marry his uh, nephew. He'd rather he have it because he knows that'll be more politically valuable. But in the scene before that, they're playing cards, and a lot of people, mainly young people, the nephew and one of his friends, are trying to freak out the political official. You know, that, like, Sicily can't be tamed. Like, a man was found here. Like, a boy got kidnapped, and they sent his head in a basket. And the, the prince is telling them, like, just shut up. Like, stop trying to create trouble. But this it's is... the prince, the, Bert Lancaster's character? Yeah, Bert Lancaster's character. Prince Fabrizio. I don't remember the last name. I'm sorry. But yeah, Prince Fabrizio, uh, the leopard. Wait, isn't Fabrizio his last name? Fabrizio's nah, the first name. That's his oh, first name. I see. You know, but that's that's what he's saying in the back room to the elected official is that I'm basically in the ruling seat of a very proud people who don't want to change, but I'm trying to ease them along. I get it now. I want my family to be okay, and I'm willing to sacrifice my old way for them. You guys can have the new seat of power just as long as they're okay. All that matters is this future, this future that I won't be part of. I like the shot at the end where he was walking down the alleyway from the light open area expanse yeah, yeah, to the dark. It's a beautiful shot. I think that was the only shot in the movie that meant anything to me. Really? I think it visually uh, supports the entire thing. In fact, that's I thought all the shots were very they they kind of there was no there was ab- there was zero close-up shot. That's not true. Uh, what, do you consider, what do you consider a close-up shot? Not zero. We, we get plenty of shots where we are zeroed in on someone's face, particularly Lancaster. Does the face fill the entire frame? Yeah, we, we have some of those. I don't think there's any shots where the face fills the entire frame. There's certainly plenty of medium shots. I oh, those are definitely medium shots. Yes, I, I agree with the fact that no, there's no, medium I, shots. Okay, no. I, we definitely get close-up shots. All right. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't see a single one where it, it, the face filled the entire frame and there was no space on the outside of the dude's face. That's what I mean by close-up. It's, defi- it's definitely a movie that, that uh, shoots mostly panoramically and mostly goes for the epic effect. Yes. It, um, all the shots were very wide. Well, and they so were beautiful. The, the costume design was beautiful and everything was beautiful. I just don't think that the, this film kind of used the camera in the way that is interesting to me. But, well, I mean, this is for the hey, how do we like it section, so... I'll let you guys go on with your talking about what's going on, which I have nothing to say about because I did not understand anything in this movie. Not a thing? I mean, I got that last shot, but that's about it. Well, what The rest of the way through, what did you think was going on? I, I just couldn't even follow it. I think you may have been focused too much on the trees because uh, this, this, to me, is a forest kind of movie. Like, I, Okay, I'll say that if I haven't said this already, that... What I like about it, in terms of the history we get, is it's specific enough that we are dealing with something specific. I don't think it would be nearly as powerful if this was just theoretical. So we understand that this is something that actually happened in history. This actually happened. 
But I think on a broader level, it, it's about things that have happened throughout history and will continue to happen. People's ways of lives will change. And I think uh, the movie thematically is about the way we choose to either fight or accept change. And, and also, do you, you want to know what movie I think it's a really interesting corollary with? Is uh, No Country for Old Men. I was going to say Four Feathers, but... I haven't seen The Four Feathers. Yeah. Which right. one haven't you seen? The Four Feathers? Any of them? Because I think there's three. I, uh, no, I haven't seen what a single one. What are the names of the individual movies? I was thinking about the 1936 version. It's the same movie, just done three different ways. Is it a movie about World War One? Yes. I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. So how's it like The Four Feathers? Uh, I just felt that the way... It generally exposits the... Pl- I mean, Four Feathers is obviously a more interesting movie. <laughs> really? I mean, to me. Like, I, it was able to hold my interest better. I, I This did not hold my interest at all, and I got bored, and I couldn't follow it because I got bored. Hmm, we, we should at least try to follow the movie. I tried. I couldn't figure out what was going on and why they were telling me all this stuff, and I couldn't, I couldn't pick it out from just the pictures alone. So... But see, this is what I mean by, like, you're focusing too much on the trees. Because I think... Well, that's what film is. is a series of, of moving pictures that tell a story, regardless of the music, the dialogue, or anything else. It should tell a story on its own. Well, I think it does. I, and in fact, that's, that's the thing. Is I think, if anything, like, if I was going to play devil's advocate to this and say, oh, what's my problem with the film? I'd say it's not a film with a ton of... It's certainly not Aaron Sorkin. It's not a ton of dialogue. And it had a ton of dialogue. Not I mean, the as dialogue much as you'd think. did There's most a lot of the of plot. Visualization. Well, I think the dialogue did most of the plot. Are we done with the plot synopsis and uh, talking about stuff so we can do a hey, 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 how do we like it? Because otherwise I'm going to shoot my wad before it's time. I, f- I finished the plot synopsis like five minutes ago. Yeah, I know. And then you d- right, went on to your thing about what you thought the film meant. And I have nothing to say on that front because I did not understand this movie at all. Well, and we I was can just, just bored stop out of my talking skull. because the plot synopsis is complete. No, no. I'm telling you two to finish what you're done talking about the film until we do the hey, 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 well, how do we like it? Just let me know when it's time to do that segment. Okay, keep plot quiet. synopsis is done. We can do this. Oh, okay, so now it's time for hey, 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 how do we like it? David, how did you like this movie? Uh, it's the second time I've seen it, and I and I was uh, struck by how different it seems as me to me as an adult than it has to, as, as a kid. But I did I did like it. I thought it had some uh, I, I, I I thought it had some nice uh, luscious cinematography and some uh, some some interesting dialogue. Uh, the what I didn't uh, like about it was that I was a lack of integration between the uh, cinematography and, uh, and and the character development, which I think really m- would have really is one of the qualities that distinguishes the very best movies. But it's I still a very good would movie. absolutely agree with that. That was one of my things that I was like, huh? Wait, who's the character, and how does how does the way he's being shot portray him and characteristic the other characters? That bothered me. I didn't see enough of that. Yeah. But, uh... So I agree with you there. All right. So 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 so. Well, how would you respond to a movie like two thousand one, where we barely have characters at all? That's fine, but the general ideas alone not enough to to, uh, sustain that. 
The ideas alone are definitely enough to sustain 2001, and they're entirely apparent in the cinematography. Well, I mean, I think they're more apparent just from what happens. I think they're apparent by the way it's shot. The cinematography serves it, but I don't know that the shots by themselves, free of context, tell the story. I would argue they do. Well, I would argue this does it by the same measure. Okay. There's certainly visual information conveyed in the battle scenes and the landscape scenes and the ball scenes. There was a battle and some people were shot and hanged. Yes, I got that part. You're being a very very rough critic. There was more. There was more information uh, portrayed in that. That was pretty much all I got from that. (laughs) You're. You're. I'm sorry. You're entirely missing the boat. No, I missed a lot of stuff. I. I I just feel like this movie just went like, whoop in my head. Like, no idea what's going on. And that's the thing is, it's not the kind of movie that should go over your head because I know that the history is tough to keep track of. I'm still foggy on the absolute details of the history. Well, I know the details of the history because I had David explain it to me after our first break. Okay, that's the that's the hard part. All and right. that's well, not even No, that part was easy after David explained it to movie. me. I just still had no idea what was going on in the movie. Did you feel I'm did you feel stupid. the ca- the ca- w- w- self aside, did you feel the character development was lacking in uh ability to explain the the motivations for the actions? Look, I saw two characters who I viewed as characters who were actually worth noting. That was the priest and the Burt Lancaster character, whose name I didn't even know because I didn't quite comprehend. The priest? You put the priest above uh, Tancredi? Yeah. I mean, it, the movie... I know, I just see him in the minor end. character. Yeah. Yeah. Tancredi is huge. The movie's about how they go hand in hand. Oh, I do remember them, that, dude. And I remember the hot other. chick, too. The hot chick has a bigger scene in terms of character development to me than the priest gets. Are you speaking of a uh, Claudia Cardinale's character? So now we're up to four characters who I uh, was able to identify as having a uh, role in the film. However, I don't really understand what, what the change was with those characters from the beginning to the end. Who's the protagonist? Where does it go? Like, how, do we, how does this person change, and how is it visible, and how is his position different? Yes, I understand what you were saying after you said it. I wasn't understanding it before you said it. But after you said it, I went, oh, yeah, okay. So he realizes things are going to change. That's Brady's interpretation of it. And it's probably right because Brady got a lot more out of this film than I did. I got nothing. Brady got something. So that's more. Um, But here's the thing. Uh, He's going to change. It's not he's changed in the course of the picture. Oh, he has changed. In fact, by midway through the picture, he's changed so much that he's calming people who have less stake in it than he does down, like with his groundskeeper. His groundskeeper, who I feel is in a lot of ways just saying what he thinks the prince wants to hear, is railing against the nephew's new wife. Yeah, it's really just hammering. I didn't catch that because I was tuned out at this point because I was bored. Well, you shouldn't tune out if you want to objectively judge a movie. I just couldn't. I couldn't follow it. I was I got too bored and I was just like, ah, try harder. I did. I tried. I tried for the first two and a half hours. This was a very long climb up to a very short slide, which was the last. Well, that happens an scene. hour and a half into it. Yeah, and if I if I'm not engaged by an hour and a half, uh, the the groundskeeper that Rob was talking about who was a, a hunting a hunting partner. A hu- for, hunting uh, partner. Look, I watched uh, everything. I read every subtitle. I watched their lips, and I watched their delivery, and tried to be impacted by it, and I wasn't. So I don't, I don't know if it's the language barrier. Although I watch many films with subtitles, in which case I, I do get impacted. Das Boot, 
you know, uh, Lola Rent, uh, fucking uh, yeah, yeah, Life no, is Beautiful. Like all I'm responding, movie- but hey, Rob, I'm responding though to. So I don't think it's that. I'm responding to your criticism that he doesn't change. I'm saying that between the beginning and the middle, he's gone from someone who probably does have some attachment to this old way to being so resigned, or not resigned, but like knowing that this change is coming, that he's ex- uh, easing the other people in his life. Yeah, and I didn't I think catch Tancredi that, though, because I was already him. bored by that point, and I couldn't follow the film anymore, because it's See, so goddamn long. But I think what you're missing, though, is I feel like this theme of like kind of this bittersweet goodbye to old ways of life, to, to just the constancy of change, is evident from that dead soldier scene. And I think the point of this movie is to luxuriate. <laughs> At that point, I still thought beautiful. maybe a leopard killed him. It, it's a beautiful <laughs> movie, and how it supports itself cinematographically is that we're bathed in this world, this beautiful world, which is gorgeously shot. And what we're saying goodbye to is that old world. Look, so I, I get it that there's that this world. in that, Brady. I didn't get it because I'm stupid or something. No, I don't no, know. you're not stupid. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to defend the film from the critique. I, my critique is I got bored and I was unable to pay attention or to get anything from this film. That shouldn't be held against the film. That should be held against me because I'm an idiot. But you're I'm sorry. I didn't get it. I didn't like it because I didn't get it. And it was just three hours of my life wasted to me. But I mean, okay, but here's what I don't understand. Is like your opinion on this film already settled? Because mine is changing yes, even now. It's, settled. And it's my second time hearing Look, it. Look, if I watch it, ag- it if I watch it again, my opinion might change, but you can't change it by discussing it with me because I wasn't even able to like take it in. Okay, I see. Okay. It's unclear in the beginning of the movie, by the way, how how much uh, how much Burt Lancaster's character is already uh, Fabrizio is already accepted. It becomes clearer later that he that he that he has has indeed accepted what is happening. There's some indications that the process has begun, but it's not uh, it's it's not completely clear until somewhat into the movie how. Uh, I mean, yeah, no, I I know you're right, but the well, okay, because we get first when he's writing to go see his mistress with the priest, and the priest is freaking out, and he kind of calms him down. And yeah. since that was the second time, I was like, oh, that that's his first time really accepting this. But then a scene or two later, when we first meet Tancredi, and, and this is an interesting shot. If you want to talk about an interesting shot, the prince is shaving, and in the mirror we see Tancredi's face, which to me says what Burt Lancaster's motivation becomes pretty early into this movie is, I'm going to die. It's not me. Everything I do needs to be for my nephew, for the future. Like, And I won't be part of that future, but I should be basically lining things up so that the future can be as good for my family as it can be. But in that scene, we get him, we see him really flare up with angry, with anger when Tancredi says he's going to go join the revolutionaries. And the uh, the prince is just like, that's crazy. Like they're never going to last. And so in that sense, he is still kind of holding on to the old vestiges of his life. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 that was one of the more convincing parts of the character, his uh, his ambivalence towards what he's intellectually accepted, but not necessarily emotionally, and how and what he really only emotionally accepts as he becomes uh, aware of his own mortality as opposed to the mortality of the system that he's part of. I know, and I like that because yeah. that gives him an arc. Like, in fact, when I was uh, when I remembered watching this the first time, I even remembered less of an arc. Than there actually is, and I was even okay with that. But like 
there are flares of pride. What makes him an interesting character is to see his bile, his like rage at having to kneel at the feet of who he views to be lesser people, less intelligent people, less noble people. And we see that flare up from time to time, which makes us realize he's really having to exhibit a lot of strength of character to calm the members of his family down to go through with this arrangement. Uh, yeah, he, he has... He he has to calm him down. He's a he's a person who's been most pivotal, most central to the old order. He is the embodiment of the old order, but he is the one who oh, wait. calms him down. Uh, I think we got how I liked it, and we got how David liked it, but I don't think we ever got to Brady. Brady, how did you like this movie? It is a masterpiece, one of the best films, very best films ever made. All right, end segment. Anyway, go on to what you were saying, David. I was I I, I was talking about how he was a very embodiment of the old order, but he. But he's the one who, ironically, has to uh, get other people to accept that it's uh, that 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 the that, that, that change is blowing against it, and that that's that's a central irony that makes the movie function, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I found yeah. that very rich in terms of character development. So all right, all, so uh, why don't we take a little break and do our understudy for the week, and uh, we'll be right back after this. All righty. We're so sorry we couldn't get the actors. To do the scene from this screenplay But we've got two understudies And to be honest They're probably more famous anyway So try to guess the actors Try to guess the movies Tweet us at C-A-R-N-Y Couch This game called Understudy Is happening, happening, happening Right now Hey, Mr. Sleepyhead Welcome back Ugh. How long have I been out? I'd say a good five hours, anyway. Oh, great! We must be getting real close, huh? Should be. I've been averaging about 90 miles an hour all night. Oh, good, man. Boy, I'll tell you, this is one of the dangerous highways. You, you wouldn't believe all the road, Peter. Two dead dogs, a couple of rabbits, a snake, and some big thing I couldn't even recognize. <laughs> That's awful! Did you see them get a hit, or were they already lying there? I hit them. <laughs> Funny. I, I expected the Rocky Mountains to be a little rockier than this. I was thinking the same thing. That John Denver must be full of shit, huh? I must say, Des Moines is a pretty little town. Yeah, it really is. Wait a minute, when did you visit Des Moines? Last night, we drove through it. What are you talking about? You you were snoring like a baby when we went through Des Moines. Hello? Hello? Anybody home? Rise and shine. You were the one who was asleep, numbskull. Here, take a sip of coffee. You're delirious. Now, uh, Lloyd, first my memory. Doesn't the sun rise in the east and set in the west? In our country? Yes. Well, then... Perchance you can explain to me why the sun is in our face at 7.30 in the morning when we're heading west. That was understood. Tweet us your answer at C-A-R-N-Y couch. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. We're back at Carnivorous Couch, the episode where I have absolutely nothing to say. But Brady and David do. Oh, wait. Brady and Shaken do. So uh, they're going to keep talking, and I'm going to keep popping in every now and then going, well, I'm really stupid, so you guys keep talking. All right.
don't like quiet cinema. Oh wait, what did we talk about that on the air or was that off the air when you were like, no, that was off "Don't the you air. like quiet cinema? Don't you like Terrence Malick?" I, I'm like, I hated Tree of Life. Oh gosh, I thought it was horrible. Terrence I thought Tree Malick. of Life had definite moments. Modern Master. I hated it. I oh. hated it. It was horrible to me. I was like, "What the fuck is this shit? What are you doing other than telling a story?" It, it's like oh. it's like reading ordinary people. What is that? It's a book. Wait, are the, you? Oh, Judith Bloom, I think. Right. Sorry, we should stay on topic. But are you like the first person I've ever heard of to criticize Terrence Malick with the stick of "You're too conventional. You're just telling a story." Ordinary people is not conventional, but yeah. But but you're saying like all he does is tell a story, even though that's all I felt like. That's all I got from it. But it's it's crazy uh, cinematography based. It's at, well at the end, but that was just nonsense. The ending is the nonsense part. I'm talking about the birth of the world shit. <laughs> yeah, that was. Yeah. And compare it well, connected with the actual narrative and what goes on in the thing. I was like, well, what the fuck do those two things, ha- three things, have to do with each other? We're getting way off topic, but it's a it's a cry to God. It's a where do I fit in the world? And the answer what is God. You're pretty small. In the grand scheme of things, well, I agree with that sentiment, but I didn't get that from the that film. Gone, that's apparently. what it's. That's what it's saying. All right, Thin Red Line was another one of his. I like that. Mo- oh no, I think that's a good movie. Wait, wait, wait. I don't really like it. You, Terrence Malick is great. You will not derail this. <laughs> I've fought, I've fought for three weeks to get this movie on the air. All right, it, Brady's basically this movie is an example of quiet cinema, as Brady calls it, like Terrence Malick, and I obviously just don't like this. If you call it a genre, fine. But it's, no, it's not so I genre. have nothing to say. So Brady and David are going to talk Wait, about the exa- leopard. The some leopard more. is an example of quiet cinema. It's you know that's not even fair because no, I I use Terrence Malick as an example of because I feel this film is a lot about luxuriation in a very specific visual environment, and every single frame of this thing is beautiful. I, I could pick anything out of this and frame it on my wall. Well, yeah, but it's beautiful because of the set design and the costume design, not because of the cinematography. I know, but thematically... Cinematography is just showing what they blew the whole big budget on. This is a movie, though, where a lot of that stuff, for me, plugs in emotionally and thematically. Because if we're going to say goodbye to a world, we need to know what that world is. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about the ball. Because that's... That is the big thing that most people remember about this film is a 40-minute sequence at the most lavish ball ever. Okay, what does it say to have two characters get out of the ball and go to a like kind of disused wing of the uh, mansion? Wait, are you mixing it with another scene? No, no, no. This, this is the scene where uh, Fabrizio, Berlang has his character, uh, go, go, goes to talk to... Uh, Right, this is a scene where Fabrizio's character goes go, go, go goes to talk to the Tancredi character played by. Uh, uh, oh no! They, yeah. In that scene, they find him. Okay, so what's happening is you're at this huge ball, and and this is a beautiful image actually, and I think does say something thematically. You've got Lancaster in the foreground in a deserted room, and then in the background through a doorway into the other room, you can see all the busyness, all the action, just the most beautiful well-choreographed dance sequence of this waltz or uh, rondelet, whatever the fuck it is. And so it's a, I think that's a beautiful, succinct visualization of he's removed himself. The modern world, the present, will go on spinning. 
our children will go on living without us. But at a certain point, the world goes on, and we realize that we're not the world, that we, we are passing on, and none of this is relevant to us anymore, and we're not relevant to any of it. So he goes there just to catch a breath of air, and he sees a painting of a dying man. And basically, it's yeah his final moment of just wondering, like, really all that's left for him is death. He's not a political figure anymore. And so he's and that's all that's all he's that. ever been is the uh, is the count of uh, no no I mean it's well, not no, a that's not a political that figure that's a he's a prince monarcho monarchical well, yeah, he's, he's figure? A political figure for for, for, yeah. for, for the pre democratic era that's okay for the previously existing I see what you mean politics realm. extends to any sort of system of government yeah, yes yeah. it does he used to be a figure of political okay. power and I don't know things I'm stupid remember. But see, what I like about this is this isn't just, you know, we've gotten movies before of characters changing. What makes this a poignant film for me is how much it is about a character actually being gracious in the face of change. We get lots of great films like No Country for Old Men of people roiling and railing against change and asking what it's about. And, you know, Lancaster's character asks what it's about. That's but your it's consideration really of what o No Country for Old Men is about is about change? Oh, yeah. They're oh, both about old men facing their death, facing uh, no longer being relevant. I guess I do veer that way, influence. but it's not the total, you know, culmination of the entire film. What, No Country? Right. No Country, that is completely what No Country is about. No. I, I veer towards that. I just don't consider it. Th anyway, go on with anyway, what you're talking about with this film. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Again. Well, I can't talk about this topic, so if I end up speaking, it's going to be about something... But no, okay, yeah. So, so what I like is its view on change is bittersweet and we feel sad, but at the same time, it's really mature. It's like the very opposite of hysterical and shrill. His eventual take is so mature and wise to me. And he just, he's a character who really learns to accept death. And I really ended up empathizing with him heavily because he accepts his death with just such, yeah, just such emotional maturity. A and we all should, because that's imminent for all of us. And we're not nobles. In our case, it doesn't mean we're going to lose our uh, aristocratic way of life. But there's a time when we all lose our relevance and we have to view the downward end of things. And it's, I think this movie at its core is about a character doing that with as much grace and maturity as you can possibly muster. Yeah, and it all see. I, I I would agree with that. He's a very he's he, he's very dignified in the face of it. He tries to fulfill his responsibilities and then uh, then, then bows out basically. Uh, and apparently, uh, based on on a real person on a real person, if I understand correctly, uh, I I don't know how how it was in real life, but uh, s s s certainly if it was true, an, an exceptional person. Because most uh, most aristocrats would either deny what was happening or uh, or uh, panic against it, as Brady was saying. Uh, he he doesn't either. He tries to take a balanced approach. Yeah, I mean, do, do you find just bringing it around to a modern day perspective? Don't you wish someone like a John Boehner would have that stance toward change? 
because the Lancaster character doesn't agree with everything that's going on. And we come to empathize like that character who he helps with political power, who he marries off his nephew to her daughter. He's kind of a boob. And and Lancaster's character is completely composed and noble. And this guy's more of just kind of a, a little toady. I mean, we respect him. He's intelligent enough to survive in the new world. But they represent very different ways of life in terms of that kind of noble, dignified air. And do you wish that you know people in the modern age would have that kind of quiet dignity about passing on the torch? Yes, I, I've often I've often wished that in other contexts. Our uh, it's a commonplace observation to call our political class uh, shameless at this time, and it's certainly. We we, we 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 certainly wish some somebody would admit defeat once in a while, or stop trying to paint themselves as heroes when they're not. Yeah, no, that's that's it for me. I think everyone needs to have the courage to admit defeat at a certain point. Let's um, see. Bert character is also a character who has uh, who has his role thrust upon him by historical circumstance, and he. Uh, he becomes a sympathetic character nonetheless. That's kind of interesting. Now, another thing I like is, what, what do you think of Claudia Cardinale? That opinion has not changed since the first time I saw the movie uh, as a kid. She's a very stunning woman. I agree. Um, she this, may despite be... the fact that most things have changed for me in regards to looking at women in that time. but And I'll say one thing is, I think it helps in terms of embracing the future as, as a metaphor, in terms of embracing a future that you're uncertain of, that maybe you won't be around to see. I think it helps when you realize that the future will look like Claudia Cardinale, which I think the prince does. Because I think one of the most touching, poignant things is kind of his gradual connection with her. Like, he's still afraid of what it will mean for his family, certainly in terms of what it means in the old respect of what his family used to be. But he kind of develops this touching relationship with the character, which culminates in them eventually waltzing together. And I, I really liked that. In fact, what I liked is through a lot of the movie, you see that the nephew Tancredi is easing the prince into these new situations. Like it first happens when he tells him he's going to volunteer for the army. But by the end of it, we have the Cardinale character, the new bride taking on that role. And he bas she basically says to the prince, kind of tells him this little white lie to boost up his ego, like, I want to dance with you, but you know, your nephew is jealous because you were still such a dashing, cutting, you know, powerful figure that it would inspire jealousy in him for uh, me to dance with you, but we're going to do it anyway. And I thought that was a sweet moment of basically like in terms of this movie being a metaphor for the old kissing the new and saying goodbye, you know, I thought that was a, a touching, a touching thing in terms of, I mean, basically she's saying, you know, yeah, we need to smooth out the old way's ego. We need to acknowledge that there was value in what they represented and they need to realize that life changes and life goes on. Yeah. Claudia Carnal is a beautiful face for the, hu for, 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 for the human future. Perhaps the perfect face for the continuance of... Kiss the future. Yeah. I hope to be pleasantly surprised when I listen to this when I'm doing post tomorrow. Rob stepped out of the room. I had to mix myself a 
stiff drink. Is it a hot toddy? Nah, it's just a Roman a, Coke. A hot Robbie? You yeah. should make it's a, a drink. It's a hot Robbie with a twist of shaking and a little bit of bitty. <laughs> Microwave a rum and coke and call it a hot Robbie. <laughs> I think I've done that before. Uh, <laughs> Cuba Libre becomes uh, Cuba Libre becomes. Do you know okay, so are we done talking about this film yet, or <laughs> wait, wait, like? Do you know the grossest drink I have ever mixed? Is one time I I was at a house party that was so had run out of its alcohol so badly that all they had were whiskey. And lukewarm cran grape juice, and I made that shit. Whoa. I I have I have been at a, a party where we ran out of alcohol so badly we drank n- nothing because we didn't have anything to drink. Man. So you you, rock bottom. you were lucky <laughs> that you at least had some two pieces of shit to mix together and try and build a fire. Or no, two pieces of shit to rub together and try and build a fire. But we had no pieces of shit, and therefore just... I mean, we didn't have water, because I think the water was turned off at this particular domicile. Did you have a potato you could ferment? I mean, how long was the party? Yeah, was it a was it a 40-year permanent party? N- n- no, it was an eviction party, and I don't think that's why uh, we had no water. Those are pretty <laughs> expedited. Yeah, eviction party. Well, I've never been to one of those. There was an orgy in the room, though. You know, so apparently the tequila did its job before it ran dry. More, apparently, I need to go to more eviction parties. Yes, that's exactly where you should go. I'll invite you to mine. What? 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 Dude, here's how you turn any well, party into an eviction party: bring tequila. Indeed. Tequila is <laughs> makes you drunk faster than you realize. Is that the idea? Yeah, I guess so. Or just when people drink tequila, shit gets crazy. Anyway, um I just kicked my headphones into my computer fan and it's making a noise. Uh, oh. I fixed it. You fixed it. With your foot, no less. <laughs> yeah, I broke it with my foot, I might as well fix it with my foot. <laughs> So, okay, do we have any last words to say on this? David, do you have last words to say? Uh, let me think for a second. Yes, I, 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 I have last words to say. It was a gorgeous movie, and it's, it's, it's certainly worth watching to, to, uh, for, 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 for that value. As I agree far with as the, the first of those two statements. <laughs> it is a gorgeous movie. It's beautiful. As far as the uh, character development and all the things that Rainey has been talking about so passionately about the change and embracing the old and the new i do i i do i do think they were there but i don't i don't think that the uh the explanations the visual or dialogue explanations of what those orders were really about was strong enough that's my only criticism but it's it's still a good movie that was probably the criticism that i could discern with my limited uh brain heck you know what i think honestly i mean I think I, I might have been saying this to David on a break. Now, the question is, do you have final thoughts? Sir? I do. This, this is that final thought. Here's what I'll say, because this is a masterpiece, and this is why to me. You know, and make up your own mind, but this is why to me. Piece I, of a master or a master of pieces? <laughs> it's a piece of master. It's a piece off the master. and So is he a statue and I've chiseled off a finger or... Oh, wait. Oh, can I say this? This is important. I really like the little touches of 
You know how Fellini used to mix the sacred and the profane? And, and to a completely different reason in his case. But what I really liked are the touches of just the new world kind of eroding onto the old. You know, we get one with like a, a graffiti on the church saying Viva Garibaldi. But the big one we get is this new Italian flag in a statue's hand. And I liked what that said about, you know, as, as sacred as you hold your old way, the ways of your traditions, you just can't stop change from coming. It's a constant. And you shouldn't bemoan it. It's just a fact of life. Yeah, and you shouldn't talk about it again after it's already changed. Sorry, it was it was a new thought. Um, no, no, okay. I think this is a masterpiece. But what I was going to say is I like a lot of talkie films, like The Social Network uh, was one that I was mentioning. I, I like a lot of films where the power is in the verbiage itself. There's something to be said, especially when we consider that movies are supposed to be a visual medium. I really like this idea of a simple idea, but a very poignant idea, well explored and supported with beautiful visuals and just bathing us in this world. So what we get is just a very long goodbye letter, uh, just a, a basically a wake for the old way of life and realizing like, yeah, the, a lot of this stuff was really beautiful and still realizing, as the prince does, that we need to move on to bigger and better things. And I, I think it's just, yeah, a beautiful, one of the most beautifully shot and mature odes to change I've ever seen. All right. That being said, uh, let's go on to our next segment, which is called Rank It. Be right back after this. <laughs> Hi everybody, hi everybody, uh, welcome to this episode of Kindergarten Couch, on which we're doing a rank it. Hi everybody. Oh yeah, Brady's here. I'm here. And Rob's here. And uh, we're going to rank the films of Wes Anderson. Yep. Uh, but neither of us have seen Bottle Rocket because we're horrible. Yeah, sorry. Oh wait, sorry, I'm horrible, Brady's just normal. I mean, no, no, I owe it to myself, or not to myself, it's all about me. Now, I owe it to Wes Anderson, a director I love, to check it out. I just haven't yet. I will. Yeah, I, d- I do want to see it, but uh, I haven't yet. So we're going to do this rank it before I've seen it. Maybe we'll do it again after I've seen it. And yeah. after I've seen Moonrise Kingdom again, because uh kind of too recent in my brain to fucking rip it Uh It's certainly shaking things up. It's uh, shaking things up for me. All right. Well, let's do it. Uh, Brady, what's your number six? Number six. I'm sorry, Rob. You're going to hate me Uh, because I know you love this one and I owe it a serious rewatch. There are two on this list. I owe a serious rewatch. But in terms of maybe being a little bit too prone to some of Anderson's lesser instincts and also just not having a theme that resonates with me as much when I think back on the themes of these movies. I have to put the Darjeeling Limited as my number six. Oh, I'm fine with that. But I, I need to see it again because you speak of it highly, and I know uh, it's interesting at least, and I, I need to see it again. I, I don't really any expect anybody to like Darjeeling Limited as much as I do. I mean, it's just it's something I really like, and 
It's a special uh, uh, relationship. And by the way, when we're ranking this, uh, we decided that Hotel Chevalier, which is the short film that accompanies Darjeeling Limited, is part of Darjeeling Limited. I don't know where we place it in the editing scheme or anything like that. But Well, you know something funny? His next movie, uh, and the trailer just came out, and I need to see it, is um, called The Grand Budapest Hotel. So he's doing a big-scale hotel movie now. Oh, look at that. Dude, is he... It, oh, I wonder if he'll pay homage to uh, uh, Jerry Lewis in... Uh, I don't know. You gotta see. I need to see that trailer. Badly. Okay, well, just make me feel less stupid here by actually saying... the tut- Is it the bellboy? No. Wait, what? Jerry Lewis. Oh, uh, Jerry Lewis was in a movie called The Bellboy, but I, yeah, okay, I haven't it seen is the any Bellboy. of his stuff. It just, it just rang wrong to my brain. But yes, I'm assuming that the homages are going to be towards that because that's a phenomenal movie. Oh, really? Cool. All right. I need to see that. Uh, yeah. We should watch. We should do that on a future episode. Let's just... Uh, when I've we listen not back seen to this, any Jerry Lewis. We'll put it on the list. Okay. Nice. Okay. Done. Uh, so my number six is uh, Moonrise Kingdom. Oh, <laughs> I did like it. I liked it a lot, but I mean, it didn't it didn't sink in like all the other films of his that I've seen multiple, multiple, multiple times. And I just need to see it more times. So, all right, uh, your number five then. My number five, um, a movie I saw when I was dating a girl who I had a weird relationship with in law school. Uh, we only dated a few months. She was really nice. And we saw a lot of movies together. A lot of good movies. Uh, and some bad ones. <laughs> we saw the Rob Zombie Halloween. And Across the Universe, which I'm sorry is also a bad movie. <laughs> um, but we saw the Darjeeling Limited together in the very special year of 2007, which had tons of good movies. And I like this movie, actually, quite a bit. But it's probably his most unfocused, in a way. Or just simplest. I enjoyed lots of things about it. Like, there are lines I can still laugh at now. I love how the brothers betray each other. When just, like, one gets cornered in something, and then he's just like, Ruby's getting pregnant. (laughs) 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 They just throw each other under the bus. Well, that's what you do with your siblings, right? You're just like, I'm in trouble. Look, I know my (laughs) sis will forgive me. So, uh, that was Mandy. That's Mandy's pot. (laughs) I was was holding Mandy's pot. It's funny, because both my sister and I both got a pipe taken from us at a certain <laughs> different point in time and her reaction was like rob gave that to me for my birthday which was true but i mean like come on and then i think uh the other reaction was well that was just me going that's not mine i borrowed it but um anyway my mom <laughs> gave us those pipes back to us uh about eight years later <laughs> nice. for christmas in our christmas stockings and we we're like why are you giving these back to us and she's like I was going to wait till you were 30 and you were over it, but I realized I just don't care anymore. (laughs) (laughs) That's sweet. Yeah, it is, because my mom's crazy and she cares about a lot of other stupid little things, but apparently not smoking weed. Apparently her, like, what she told me was her friends were like, uh, well, first of all, I don't smoke weed that much anymore, and I've told my mom that, and I've been pretty open. But um, nice. secondly, she's like, uh, yeah, all, all my friends have successful sons or daughters and they all smoke weed occasionally or sometime or have or in some point in time. So I realize it's not really a big thing. Uh, it's a changing world. The world is changing. <laughs> all right. Number four, Brady. Wait, you haven't done your number five yet. 
Oh, Fantastic Mr. Fox is my number five. Ooh. Yeah, I knew that was going to hurt you. Right in the gut. (laughs) Yeah. I'll punch your gut right into your balls. I mean, no, I'll punch your ass right into your gut. I'll punch your gut right into... What's something I said earlier? Oh, punch your butt into your guts or stomach? I don't know. It was when we were watching the movie and I was bored, so I said that. Oh, yeah, it was about the pony. The pony will kick your gut right into your ass. Oh, yeah. Kick your ass right into your gut or whatever. Anyway, uh, number four, Brady. Number four, and this is honestly the bigger one I ever rewatch, just because it's like considered it's considered his breakout moment, and I know there are a lot of people who swear by it. So I need to see Rushmore again. Oh, I thought you were gonna kill me for saying that my number four is Rushmore. No, no, I I just when I go back to it, like I love it and it's really clever. It's cool, but thematically, it can't touch what my top three is doing. Like I just, it doesn't, it's just not quite there for me, even though I know it's really funny. Um, It's good. I I need to see it again. No, it's it's really good. It's really good. Those are, these are, these are OR scrubs. Oh, are they? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Number three, Brady. No, no, no. It's your number four. My number four is also Rushmore. Oh, that's right. Okay. Rushmore, Rushmore. Okay, my number three, Moonrise Kingdom, which I'm going to say this top three is like fighting for all those slots to me. I think Moonrise Kingdom is the most just visually brilliant, short. It's only like 80-some minutes, I want to say. Maybe 90. Like the shortest. 92. Just a short, beautiful like musical thematic gut punch on a specific subject. And just this idea of how like, yeah, young love is foolish. And I don't think it shies away from that, but it kind of says like to anyone who would say that to a young person, like your love is foolish. Like you don't know what you're doing. It's, it's just a big, so fucking what to that idea. Just like who can deny an emotion that raw? Well, that was the thing I always felt about eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, which is like, you know, just a fleeting relationship is is nothing, but it's like, no, 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 we need that, right? Like, like I know I'm just gonna follow fall into this trap, and I'm gonna do the same thing over and over again, and they go like, okay, yeah, do that, yeah. Like I know young lug means nothing, and it doesn't really affect my real life, but okay. Yeah, and just who are you to say that this isn't real? No, I I really like that movie. I'm sorry, it's my number six. It's weird because your number three and my number six are uh, the same. Uh, Well, I mean, they're not the same, but I mean, they're switched. They're opposites. But Uh, they both got Bill Murray. Yeah, my number three is Darjeeling Limited. Oh, Darjeeling. Never mind. And that was your number six, right? Uh, No, my number six is The Life Aquatic. Oh, I thought it was Darjeeling. No. How did I get that one? Your number six is Life Aquatic? Oh, yeah. I thought I would have given you more shit for that. I know. I was surprised when you didn't. Are you sure that's what you said? That's what I said. Okay, we're going to listen back to this after we're done. Oh, no, totally. <laughs> okay. Um. Anyway, your number two. Oh, have you done your number two yet? No, my number three I did. Oh, okay. Okay, sorry. It's, it's our dealing. So now your number two is. Uh, my number two, and man, does this one like punch close to number one. I've even thought, like, you know, if I'm being honest, this might be it. 
Uh, but number two, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Okay, let's let's take ourselves away from our Anderson love at this point and kind of view this from a distance. Let's think about the stuff that Anderson sometimes gets slapped for being overly manicured. Mm. And some people will try to say, like, there's not enough emotion in it. Like, mm. he strangles emotion, which I disagree with uh, completely. But I think Fantastic Mr. Fox is the most harmonious, joyful blending of the Wes Anderson style. Of the Wes Anderson style with an actual visual medium. Like, when you have those beautiful stop-motion figures... Uh, and the Roll Doll story, it's just, I think, a beautiful blend. And I love just, it's so artful. Uh, yeah, I, I love it. <laughs> Sorry, I was trying to get Brady inspirational music while he was doing his dad drive. Uh, that was your number two? Yeah, Fantastic. number two. All right, for the exact same reasons, The Life Aquatic. All right. Let's hear. It. I no. I want to hear. I want like a little same reason prologue to why no, I need exact, to watch this movie. Exact same again. reasons. It's got a roll doll story, and uh, with that's not roll doll. The, the over meticulous. No, it's not at all. <laughs> that was my joke. Oh, sorry. You, you stepped on it. It's now squashed flat as a bug. Sorry, I, Hot I'm water sorry. burn, baby. <laughs> anyway, go on. Life Aquatic. Life Aquatic. I love Life Aquatic so much because, I mean, it's just so, like, I love pulling back the veil on things that have been made and showing the Life Aquatic shows this guy who's, um, you know, had his heyday, been in the spotlight. Everybody's like, oh, that guy's brilliant. That guy's amazing. He's uh, basically a, a nouveau Jacques Cousteau, but he, like, documents everything and airs it on TV and so forth and so on. And, like, you know, gets kids interested in, in this and that. And then you pull back the curtain on that. And it's just shown It's shown two ways. It's shown in the film itself as they pull back the curtain on it and as he reveals himself to be more and more of, like, kind of just a distressed sort of dude. Uh, because okay. Because yeah. he's revealing that to his son. It, it's, uh, it's, again, another Wes Anderson thing with fathers and sons. But um, he reveals it to his son... And uh, as he's revealing more and more of himself to his son, the fake image he he wants to per, uh, you know show his son and be like, "Well, you're my son. Oh my God, you got to know this about me." But more and more, when he says, "You got to know this about me," um, it comes to all his flaws and so forth and so on. And those flaws are the things that actually end up killing his son. And that's the reason he never wanted to be a father, because he's just too flawed. And then through those flaws, he's made himself not... I mean, okay. By the way, I forgot to mention at the opening, but this is a spoiler-full podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, so there's that. And just, you know, even thematically how it's made, they take they basically take a ship and cut it in half and then make rooms yeah, out of it. Yeah, that diorama's so beautiful. Yeah, d well, no, that's not even a diorama. They literally cut a ship in half Oh wow! Well, no, to make this film. So, I mean, just the idea of doing that and using that as the pan and and drop, like for the intro and this and that and the other, or even intermediary scenes, shows already the pulling back of the veil, the letting all your flaws know and letting all your everything known. Okay, interesting. I mean, I, like, I'm just blown away by that movie and 
Like every time I watch it, I see something new. I mean, the same with every other Wes Anderson movie, but still, like, th- I think this is the one that he came together with Noah Baumbach and just made a masterpiece that's underappreciated. All right, I'll I'll watch it again. The thing I'll be paying attention to when I watch it again is the Owen Wilson character, because if there was one thing I remember feeling underwhelmed on was just that character that when he died, I wanted more attachment to him. And I don't know why it was. Maybe it was my own bias. Oh, wait. And I love 70s David Bowie, and there was a lot of that. Oh, yeah, in Portuguese. Yes. And then also just literal literal covers of him. Or uh, not covers. Uh, recordings played over the... Okay, cool. Non-diegetic, but yeah. Oh, no, Bowie, Bowie's awesome. I cannot argue with that at all. Anyway, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go on. Oh, no. Uh, so... Yeah, I, I need to see it again. I really do. You've only seen it once? Yeah. Oh, man. I've seen that movie at least. Except I, That is one of the very few movies that I own on a DVD. I know. I know. And you know how I am about DVDs. I'm like, fuck that. I'm not going to own a DVD unless it's really important to own it on a DVD. Yeah, no, I, I do know this about you. Uh, and I bought, yeah. I think I bought that one for myself, right? Yeah, I think I did. That I do not know. I believe you. I think I just bought I it. I believe you. Uh, I want to believe. Anyway, what's your number in one, life I, I think we're both on yeah, the yeah, on number okay. one. I mean, so like I said, this was going back and forth with Fantastic Mr. Fox. Uh, but I, I rewatched it recently, and the Royal Tannenbaums is... It's just perfect. Like, I I don't know a film. It's rare to find a film with this level of rewatchability. And the more I watch it, just the more I marvel at Gene Hackman's performance. Like, I think he might be my favorite cad, just cad in cinema history. He he and Falstaff should party in hell, where they'll both surely end up, but they'll be the most popular people in hell. I I love it. I love what it says about family. I love the shots. I I love uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's cigarette smoke blowing uh, back from behind the wall where you can't see her. And I, I love just what it says about relationships being flawed. Uh, you know, I'd like to do a double feature of that with Junebug. I've just like, <laughs> family isn't this perfect, perfect thing we ever smooth out. And I think this is valuable to anyone who wants to have a good relationship with their family. It's not something simple. It's a bunch of people with their own personalities and hangups and just kind of learning to confront each other. And I, I think it's beautiful and funny and just... You know, it, it's a full emotional experience with great acting, and I, I can't say enough about it. And all those things that Brady said, and then also the sins of the father affect each other in different ways. Yeah. Frank it, bitch! Hey, we're back. We're back. But we have to determine what episode we're going to do next week, right? Mm-hmm. Wait, uh-huh. what episode or what movie? Oh, oh wait, what movie? We know what episode. Yeah, we're going to do the next episode. Unless we do them out of order. That wouldn't make sense. No, we're not Tarantino. No, unfortunately. We are collectively all Tarantino, actually. He's wrong. but. Oh, yeah, I guess that's a good point. David, what do you think we should do next week for a viewing? Please don't suggest anything, anything like this movie. Uh, in what sense does it have to be unlike this movie? Nothing with subtitles? Nothing, uh... Something I would like, as opposed to something I would hate. Have you done the Shawshank Redemption yet? 
No, we haven't. That's a good suggestion. Uh, got anything else? Brady? Uh, yeah, I I suggested this week's movie. Get Lizzie. <laughs> get Lizzie. Get busy living. Or get busy uh, dying. As, far, as far as a classic American movie, uh, how classic do you want to go? Uh. Well, okay, so so far I think we've done, I think I can probably still list our thing in order. Um, that's in my brain. Uh, we have done Cool Hand Luke, Easy Rider. Yep. Uh, Field of Dreams. Um, shit. Uh, Long Goodbye. Cas- or the Breaking Bad finale. Casino. The Holy Mountain. And this film, which is called El Gal... It's called El the fucking... Lampardo. Yeah, it's called the, the fucking... Lampardo, you crazy son of a bitch. Dude, my, my, my full Italian or full Sicilian grandfather would be so mad at me. He'd be like, you hate the... You don't like the Italian film. And you <laughs> and you fucking can't say anything in Italian, so you just keep calling it The Leopard. And you, you name the podcast The Leopard because otherwise it would be hard for you to type it on the... You're a fucking horrible Valentino. And I would be like, yeah, Grandpa, I also have very long hair, which you keep telling me I should cut even though you're not alive, but I can hear it every day. Every time I look in the mirror, fucking cut your hair, you fucking hippie. Why put it in a shiny shoe? Although he never said fuck to me. Well, I'm, I'm not Italian, but... It'd probably be more like, cut I your goddamn hair! A film than Rob. Hmm? I said, I'm not Italian, by the way, for full disclosure. No, I'm Italian. Yeah. I mean, I'm one quarter Italian, but my mom was half Italian, and my grandfather was full Italian from Sicily, so... The words in... Cer- certain of the words in Italian movies, uh... I can understand more than a quarter of, but that doesn't make me more than a quarter of Italian. Well, I could understand them just because they're very close to Spanish. Yeah, and I, and I have the French one. Actually, I, I actually took more in when I stopped reading the subtitles, to be honest. And what I should have probably well, done... Doesn't that say that it's a visually interesting movie? No, I mean, I was just able to understand more of what was being said when I focused on the lips and listened to the, what they were saying as opposed to trying to translate and then double-check. But anyway, what I should have done, and this probably would have in- increased my viewing pleasure, and I probably would have started to enjoy this movie a little bit more, is I should have said, hey, everybody, can we pause, and can I move the subtitles down to the black bar that letterboxes out the frame? <coughs> Wait, so you just didn't want to know what they were sa- <coughs> saying? <coughs> no, I didn't like the fact the subtitles were interfering with the frame, and it was distracting to me. Your lip reading is that good? That's the standard way of of subtitling movies. That's yeah, the standard. Yeah, but way of I could have easily taken those subtitles and moved them off the frame so they were below it. Oh, we don't need. Oh, I see. Te- so you still would have seen them, that. but at somewhere else. Right, they would have just been below the frame. Oh, okay, I, I see what you mean. In the box. if I had done that, it might have been more enjoyable for me. Well, and I, yeah. I figured that out about two thirds way through the movie, but I thought it was at this point I was just so kind of pissed off and upset at having to watch this three-hour-long monstrosity. Monstrosity. Uh, I mean, masterpiece, sorry. That's what I meant to say. Piece of the master. Monsterpiece. Yes, that bomb, the leopard. So anyway, uh, our suggestion for next week thus so far is from David, and it is Shawshank Redemption, uh, which I don't really (laughs) want to do. I kind of want to do The Bridge on the River Kwai. That was my That's a good idea. That's a good classic American movie. Oh, yeah, I've been meaning to see that. Yeah, you know, you know what made me think of that. I, I, I've, I've never seen that actually. 
But you know what made me think of that was I was I watching Breaking Bad today, and there's a scene where they come to Tio. Is it Tio? Tio Sal- Tuco? Sal- no, no, Tio Salamanca. Oh, Tio. The old dude. In the wheelchair. And he's in, yeah, and he's sitting in the retirement home and he's watching TV. Yeah, yeah. And it's got, and you see that, uh, uh, it's Alec Guinness, and he goes, What have I done? And I'm like, I know what, I know that, I know that. And I would, like, like looked it up and I'm like, Oh, yeah, my dad obviously. Sometime he was watching that and I walked in the room and he said, You know who that is? And I said, No, daddy, I'm five. And he said, that, That's Alec Guinness. And then I went, okay. And he's like, you know what movie this is? And I'm like, no. He's like, it's the bridge on the river Kwai. Watch this with me. Now watch D-Day, or uh, The Longest Day, which is another one that I kind of remember snippets of from being five. Yeah, Longest Day's pretty good. Yeah. Hey there, Pilgrim. That's funny. We're going to walk up on this beach. (laughs) Well, the way I was thinking of it was that, that, that ending line where he goes like, well, you're crippled. All right, I'm crippled. He's dead, and you're lost. Pilgrim. <laughs> <laughs> That's the extent of my uh, John Wayne impression. I just say pilgrim after every line. <laughs> hey there, pilgrim. You telling Liberty Valance he can't be in Liberty Valance land? This is my land. I own it. That's why I called it Liberty Valance Land. <laughs> Mr. Liberty Valance, you should stop doing that. Hey, anyway. He doesn't play Liberty Valance. All right, what's Marvin. your suggestion for next week so I can veto it automatically like I did this movie until we eventually watched it, and this time it won't happen. Anyway, go on. What, Liberty Valance, a movie with a very similar theme to this movie? Wait, that's, that you that's, your, like? su- that's your suggestion? Sure. I'll suggest it. Brady's suggestion is who framed, who framed the man who shot <laughs> who Liberty framed Valance? Roger Rabbit. I mean, who who shot Liberty Valance? The man who, the man who shot um, Liberty Valance. A movie I never heard of, but anyways, it's one of the great. Wait, John you've Ford never heard? Westerns. You've never heard of who shot Liberty Valance? No, but I was going to suggest another John Ford movie. His Grapes of Wrath is certainly worth uh, talking about. Oh, that's a good movie. Yeah, uh, the book is more Wait, worth talking about. Wait, do I mean about. John Ford? Or do I mean John Huston? Is that Henry Fonda too? No, in uh, in the Grapes of Wrath. <laughs> Sorry, I think that's John Ford is directing, isn't it? Henry Fonda is in the Grapes of Wrath. Yeah, he's the main character. Yeah, yeah. Tom Jode. And then he was also in Easy Rider, which we've already done. No, that's Peter Fonda. Oh, Henry Fonda is right. in Once Upon a Time in the West. Great that's movie. True. Sergio Leone, right? Yeah, Leone's best. Yes. Yeah, that's a good movie. Uh, JP's really into that movie. I watched it recently. I'm not big on westerns, but that's not even which a my western. Dad, which my dad when would shoot me for. Like it's almost like a post-western, but yeah, um, it's a postmodern western and stuff. It's a when I say post-western, refer- referring taste, not referring. I look at it as something that's like post-western equals the West has already been conquered, and now you're. Oh, you mean the historical setting is a post-western right. after the closing of the frontier is just right. but that's not necessarily true it. I think you know I think the best way is the term that's been invented for his movies which is spaghetti western yeah okay there you go that makes a lot more sense just because he was personally Italian but they they had the distinctive style and the biggest thing is I feel like their movie uh, extra defined by their composer okay, so Mark wait let, let's recap and say what we got we got uh, Shawshank Redemption yeah. No offense is probably a no compared to what what it's up against. 
Um, Once Upon a Time in the West. Also, it, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Yeah, no, I'm saying The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Okay. Also, I said, um, what the fuck did I say? I mean, it's on the recording, so. Yeah, you can listen to it. No, seriously, what did I say? Wait, okay, no, I'm trying to remember. Who friend Roger Rabbit? What did you say? No. No, no. no. I, I said that as a joke, but. Um, I mean, that's my favorite movie, but before that, um, shit. Oh, Bridge on the River Kwai. Oh, Bridge on the River Kwai. Yeah. Uh, which I haven't seen, actually. I mean, I've seen pieces of it, but I've never seen it all the way through. We also talked about The Longest Day. Uh, I don't want to watch The Longest Day, though. I, I yeah, mean, no, it's kind of not that yeah, good of a movie. It's not that good. It's kind of a classic, but it's not that good of a movie. Kelly's Heroes would be one that I'd really like to watch. Uh. I'm going Bridge on the River Kwai so far. Really? Yeah. I'm kind of for the man who shot Liberty Valance. Okay, we could do that too. Liberty Valance defeated. You know what? D E F E E. Oh, the unsteady hand betrays. And then the light gets lit. That's okay, because courage can be purchased at Yon Tavern. Oh, the weary traveler lights his lamp and turns around to find. Liberty Valance. And scene. <laughs> it's a great movie, and I think it's an excellent corollary, corollary with what we watched this week. All right. I am down with the man who shot Liberty Valance. Any objections? Nay. Nay. No objections. Okay. Well, that's what we're doing next week. Hey, thanks for tuning in, everybody, to this episode of Carnivorous Cat. Sorry I was absent, but that's just because... I'm an idiot. Um, here's the reason why I'm an idiot, though. It's because I've got the sad, the seasonal affectedness disorder. I love fall. Fall is my favorite weather. I think it's Brady's favorite weather as well. Well, but winter is the best. I mean, I like it extreme. Yes, and I and I like the transition. But here's what happens to me: is uh, I get deeply affected by it. like I've been basically just walking around all week, looking at myself and going like, "You're such a cock. You're such a horrible person. Why do you exist?" And so, therefore, that colors anything I watch, and that's why I'm too stupid to uh, be able to recognize anything about this movie. Oh. Damn. But, I mean, like, I'm not going to kill myself or anything. This just always happens to me at the end of October. So, uh, you, you can look forward to me being a more optimistic sort of fellow and uh, not worry about me. But, yeah, I'm sorry I was kind of mostly verbally absent for this episode, but... Uh, Here's the here's the closing theme song anyway. Happy spooky week! <laughs> Carnivorous couch, it happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous couch with Brady and Rob. He has the cancers. No, it doesn't.